Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Ben's Ready Salted Chris. I'm your uh, Tom. I'm Tom's cheese and onion nightmare. <laughs> and today we're talking about the 2018 film Sorry to Bother You, which will contain spoilers. <laughs> Um, so, we watched Sorry to Bother You, which follows uh, Cassius Green, who starts a job as a telemarketer at the company Regal View, um, and he realises that he could like, achieve success by putting on a white voice, and this like boosts him up the ranks to become a um, power caller where he finds out that they're selling like they're doing arms dealing and slave trade uh, and it all gets a bit weird he meets with like the top of the company who's turning the workers into half horse people so that they're more productive so it, he tries to organise like strikes and stuff against them to bring them down but it doesn't really work it kind of ends in uh, a big protest and then riot where he's break, broken out the half-horse people. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's that's about right. <laughs> yeah. 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 What, uh, that's a good plot summary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it starts off fairly normal. It's kind of... Yeah. Um, I can't think of another... Uh, because it's a thing that I, I like, but there must be some past example. Do you mean like the um, style? Of, yeah, of where everything's kind of normal and then it becomes very strange. I mean, it, in some ways it reminded me a bit of being John Malkovich. Like, not that that was ever really normal, but some of the absurd nature of it was kind yeah. of similar in this as well. It reminded me a bit of like Hot oh. Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Oh really? I was thinking more like Terry Gilliam because of the it is, it is more surreal with horse people and the like ridiculous lift with the infinite uh, oh, code. Yeah, yeah. I meant like the 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 star. Oh yeah, right. I see that because um, with <laughs> the thing at the start, like I remember getting really jumped. Uh, it was that first scene in his room, and then the garage door just opens because you don't realise it's a garage, and that like sudden—I don't know—it was like my reality had been altered. I wonder if that was um, foreshadowing. Yeah, I had to like rewind yeah. it for a second. I was watch it again. I was like, "Wait, is it a garage?" <laughs> Especially given that the particular moment it occurs, that was a uh, quite inconvenient. Yeah. 
and I guess we'll probably come on to this, but that sort of feeds in, as you were saying, with it being like foreshadowing, it's also that cyclical structure where, where no matter what happens in the film itself, and he's able to like progress through all these different ranks, at the end, he still returns to going back to the garage where he's like able to have the most happiness. Yeah. There's a lot of things in this film, like, maybe we could talk about the general world, where... <laughs> ben, do you think you could scrunch up your crust packet uh, any louder, please? <laughs> All of you know I've been muting my mic. Oh. <laughs> not for us, though. <laughs> no, of course Thanks not. Thanks for letting us go through the pain. We've, sorry, <laughs> this whole time, I've been we've been talking with Ben like... <laughs> Munching crisps in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being very um, professional. Anyway, yeah, very professional. The I I enjoy this idea of a world where it's like a very believable dystopia. So it's not yeah a kind of totalitarian thing. It's it's one of the few dystopias where it's not um kind of government imposed. So it's like a Almost kind of like Blade Runner because that 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 all that's all very like corporate uh, stuff, you know, the cyberpunk kind of aesthetic. Except, so this is the dystopia part. I f- seem to be more from um, companies themselves, and uh, you know, the want for greed. So obviously, like worry-free seems to be a kind of representation of uh, like office work where you you just go to work uh you don't really you know some people just feel like they're not really doing anything you go to work you come home there's nothing in between uh kind of like selling yourself into work that that's what worry free felt like um and there's a lot of kind of is is also kind of silicon valley-esque like the Steve Lift guy, you know, yeah, uh, that kind of bro dude, um, like creator of an app or something that's made them millions and then they become insufferable. And he's, yeah. he's like, when he's like, oh, I wouldn't give you the um, the horse catalyst without telling you, I'm not evil. <laughs> After he's just told him about turning people into horse people, he's like, I'm not look, it, it's logical. It makes profits. <laughs> but I, yeah, uh, I definitely agree I, that it is like it's a dystopia, but it's almost in some ways it's like anti-establishment because you have obviously all the oh, protests and the union uh, activity, which obviously isn't too unimaginable in a current climate. But then you also have stuff like the quite sadistic <laughs> TV programs in a way, like. People yeah, <laughs> enjoy inflicting pain on other people, and somehow yeah. that's like one of the most popular things. And then also, when that video goes viral, viral of a uh, throwing a, a cola at his head, so that's like it just sort of shows a instability, I guess, in society, which it, it approaches it in a very different way. Because the thing with this film, it has a lot of quite subtle things that you have in other films, like Earth. Uh, the the guy with the eye patch, the fact that he is never given a name and it's like beeped out, that's almost derivative of Kill Bill where something quite similar happens in that. And then like the, oh, yeah. 
the white voice thing reminded me quite a bit of Black Cade Klansman. I know they came out in the same year, but it did have like used things from other films, but it it was quite unique. I felt. Oh, definitely. This this is uh, like a very different film um, where it it wants to be. You know, it's got like a, this surreal quirky tone but is very direct in its messaging it's you know like anti-capitalist pro-union uh worker power kind of messaging um so it's definitely like i don't know it's one of the most unique films i've seen where it's kind of got this you know charlie kaufman terry terry gilliam weirdness paired with uh political satire yeah Especially like the fact that the it's so directed its message, and then just the contrast with that with the surrealism that just I don't know really I don't really know how to describe it. It's just it doesn't feel like that much. It feels like really simple and easy to digest, and even to the point where like the surrealism you just kind of accept it as just yeah, that's just how it be That's yeah just... it gets it gets the shock out of the way quite quickly when he's gone through the the olive door not the jade door oh can't believe you got them mixed up uh what and idiot. then it it gets the sudden shock of like oh no there's some guy uh like in pain in a stall let's open it and then it's like shocks you with this half horse person like <laughs> it's obviously you... supposed to be shocking and that and then it, it even it manages to do the thing it makes a statement of where it says if you just show people the problem without like a real solution it, it normalizes the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So you just kind of <laughs> then you just get used to the horse people and you're like, yeah, it's fine they're turning people into horses, whatever. And it's also kinda of... Oh, I was just gonna say that um the way that they it introduced the horse person as well wasn't as shocking as it could have been because you'd seen him snorting coke before so you just kind of assumed it was a hallucination um obviously yeah, when you realised it wasn't he was... <laughs> I thought he was gonna like try and cover it up and blame it on him being high which I guess is sort of similar to the Truman showing that they're trying to like hide this reality by making them seem insane but uh but then they don't. But it definitely well, yeah, it's because that shock factor. Yeah, because that's part of it. Like, that's obviously supposed to be about having. We're going to be saying society a lot. Oh no! <laughs> like a society. Uh, yeah, it's very driven by profit. So, you know, the Steve Lift doesn't like. He just <laughs> wants profits, and he doesn't really think about anything else. So he's like, yeah. Turning people into horses is fine. Uh, you know, profits and stuff. <laughs> Whatever, it's cool. <laughs> um, it's, it's like it boosts productivity, then who cares about yeah. this? Uh, you know, you, you'd be cutting costs in half, Ollie. Oh, oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Basic economics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so that's like part of it. And what was the <laughs> What was the thing about him going like, Mr. Lip, he's like, don't call me Mr. He's like, uh, Steve. <laughs> I thought he's just wanted to call him Lift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then I, uh, I, I guess the story also um, kind of focuses on. Uh, how have I forgotten his name already? 
uh, the Cassius Greed. Cassius or Cash, yeah. Um, yeah, because his, his journey source sort of... Cash is green. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, it follows his like journey. So he starts off as just like a simple telemarketer, um, who just is looking for any job because he he needs to pay his rent. And then he excels at his job and sort of just moves up, like, classes, um, becomes part of, like, the privileged elite, and uh, his personality changes a lot because of that. He becomes a lot more self-centred, um, and it's clearly he thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's also very misguided, which, you know, is a, like, pretty common character arc but i guess the way it's um done in this sort of unique environments with this uh social commentary is quite interesting and then the way that he when he discovers the horse people the equestra sapiens um <laughs> was it equisate it was something like that uh where he, yeah. re he realizes that suddenly no, he's been bad, uh, and needs to fix everything. Yeah, um, yeah which I guess it it kind of shows that like he's not entirely corrupted by this capitalist system because uh, because he also almost see this like social mobility of him climbing through the different ladder that uh, work and like advancing naturally. Um, it it sort of means that he's he doesn't become complacent when he gets to the top, and he doesn't sort of just take the hundred million dollars that he's offered. He instead, you know, he realizes that this is corrupt, and he fights against it. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a lot of themes like in that are touched upon in this as well. Like obviously the humiliation of the TV shows. I think part of it was because he, he goes on that show to reveal the message to the world and it's uh i feel like that was talking about how if you try and do anything with the media that you quite often get utterly humiliated um so that's kind of talked about there's um stuff about like i i really liked the scenes where when he was calling people and he'd like drop into their homes yeah because it, it is like a uh, quite a big intrusion like uh it was an interesting way to show this intrusion where you you're just pushing yourself into uh someone else's life uh and because boots riley was actually a telemarketer and he wrote the script based on his experiences i don't know if he saw any half horse people but uh <laughs> he was a telemarketer and uh you can you understand why it does that because it can be awkward for both of them but it also shows how you can uh like manipulate people to thinking they're your friends so like the one where he's talking to the older lady whose husband has uh like cancer or something and he's like well one of our books is all about well-being <laughs> and you just feel awful yeah uh, so it definitely talks about like touches on that as well and another one is um like how in this is probably the last one i'll touch on quick very quickly is like uh how black people are viewed 
if they move higher up in um like social class so at the party uh you know they they're like oh get rid of your white voice and oh we know you can rap and he's like no i can't it's embarrassing and they're like oh come on and uh, like no one says it but it's obviously just because he's black and then <laughs> when he does turn out to be terrible at rapping he then just uh repeats you know, the goes to saying something yeah <laughs> saying li- literally basically just a different way of saying stuff black people say <laughs> yeah uh and just repeated that, so it, it also again. kind of talks about yeah so it also talks about race relations in that way yeah just coming back to the telemarketing thing you were talking about i think it's definitely interesting that although there's obviously a criticism of the hidden agenda of this corporation with the uh you know this mysterious um place you can go afterwards uh if you succeed but it's also sort of condemning the actual telemarketing system itself in the fact that you're rewarded for this manipulation and the the whole thing going back to that race issue is that you know you have to adopt this voice that doesn't necessarily embody you just for success so he starts to become someone that he's not yeah, and it's definitely they say, they say it's uh t- to sound like you have to sound like someone that's they've never been fired, they've only been laid off. Uh, they don't have to worry about bills or rent. Um, you know, it's and it's what the, like their clients wished they sounded like. I think he said. Um, yeah. So it's kind of that idea of just safety and comfort and uh it's i think it's david cross they got for his voice who's in like um arrested development and stuff and interesting they got uh Patton oswalt for mr boops <laughs> uh white voice who which is very strange because Patton oswalt voice is remy and ratatouille so <laughs> that was all i could imagine especially because the guy wears a hat just imagine yeah. remy underneath the hat Pulling his strings, even though he's bald, it wouldn't really work. <laughs> but then that whole... and I just want to touch on that that guy has, like the facial hair that I thought of when I was a kid. I was like, it would actually be possible to just get the sideburns going into a mustache. <laughs> and I've always wondered what that would look like, and now I know it looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Have you never seen that before? What? Sideburns into a mustache? No, you'd have to be insane to do that. Well, I've seen pictures, <laughs> and like objectively, like his were just terrible. Like <laughs> there is there's better versions out there. Anyway, on a, on another okay. note, kind of just going back to the uh, uh, the idea that the the white voice is uh, sort of what the people on the other end of the phone want to be. You know, not worrying about rent, uh, driving off in this Ferrari after the call, and it's not any of any consequence to them. I think then it's kind of symbolic when uh, Cash starts like uh, using the white voice unintentionally and just like finds himself talking to it, talking in it, and his girlfriend gets a bit weirded out and tells him to stop. Um, I kind of just interpreted that as like. 
it's not just the person on the other end that wishes that, it's also him subconsciously wishing for that uh, and yeah. manifesting. That's true, because I, I mean, I saw it as maybe him just getting, like, comfortable in a richer lifestyle, but yeah, that that also makes sense. I was ready for him, for that to happen. I assumed that would happen, but that's the that was the only thing that was predictable in this film. <laughs> that he gets think. more comfortable and he's rich. Uh, yeah, like that's. I I assumed that he would use the white voice unintentionally at some point. Yeah. What I did not assume was half horse people. <laughs> But I think that, I mean, it is actually mentioned in the film itself uh, when they're trying to, like, read into this um, this statue of the horse and they're like, oh, could this be a metaphor for, you know, dehumanisation, reification of workers? But I think that there's definitely... And then she's like, oh, well, no, it could literally just be that the horse people. But that is definitely <laughs> something that is seen throughout and that's why it is so critical of the capitalist system because these people are just becoming part of the production process and they're only literally being um they're sort of seen as heroes by the corporation just because of their output rather than you know their their actual life and i i guess that's something that was quite predictable is you know he's uh cash himself isn't necessarily made happier when he starts to make more money and climb up in yeah. society. But uh, I think it's quite nice that he, he gets that redemption at the end and sort of fights against the corruption, even though he ultimately does become one of these horse people. Yeah. Um, I think it could also be the thing about the horse statue, they say, like, oh, maybe it's just literal. is because, like, the other meaning of the sorry to bother you title, like, is... Obviously, it's what the televocators say, um, but it's also like what you'd say if uh, this is from like Boots Riley himself. He says it's what people would say if you're like telling someone a view that they're not very willing to accept. So obviously, in this film, it'd be quite difficult for like you know maybe business owners to watch uh, because it's extremely anti-business. So it's kind of the idea of people not not wanting to accept stuff people are saying or like different ideas maybe that could be part of it maybe i'm reading into it too much because <laughs> i i'm also not sure about like what the the modern art section was where <laughs> she was getting <laughs> like sheep's blood and phones yeah. chucked at her and stuff I, I don't know what that was about <laughs> i don't think anyone does <laughs> i assumed it was because there was a scene um when he was meant to be picking her up at the street corner and ended up going to like a gallery and it was just really bare but and there was a few like little things of africa on the wall and i thought it was just going to be like uh, like re- kind of bad and empty but like she was upselling it but no i don't think anything could have prepared me for what yeah <laughs> she was <laughs> reciting lines from something in a british accent any sheep's blood and phones chucked to the like <laughs> Yeah, because she was using a white voice as well. Because, um, like... It is... I know she oh, was... no, she's, it's actually Detroit's white British voice. Sorry. That's what the credit says. Yeah. Because, <laughs> okay. uh, um... I understand the art itself was, like, criticising 
I guess capitalism, the exploit, the exploitation of people in Africa to mine minerals for phones. But I don't really understand quite how the presentation of that played into the rest of the plot. I guess it just did. Yeah, I can't remember what she was saying. I think at one point I was like, it could be about trying to like show people the problems that capitalism can bring because it's like you know bullets and uh like animal blood and stuff that they're chucking so it could be that but it's one of those which probably got loads of different uh interpretations you know or maybe they just did it and they're like whatever because <laughs> yeah. af- afterwards um i can't what's his name I, it's it's the guy from walking dead oh yeah squeeze uh <laughs> When he goes, when she's like, oh, how was it? And he says, oh, it was fiery. And she's like, fiery? That's it. It's like, what? Well, <laughs> I was like, that's not, that's not that bad to say, is it? <laughs> I don't, I, I didn't know what she was wanting it's to It's quite a passionate say. performance, to be fair. I'd have thought fiery would have done you it justice. You could say fiery. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I think, I guess the, she was exp- explaining it earlier in the film but her dialogue slowly faded out because he was uh because cash was looking at the weed oh yeah <laughs> i'd say that although like the the twist with the horse thing was like so out of the blue and it might be quite off-putting for people i'd say that scene was like probably the weirdest just because to me it doesn't really have any valid explanation or it didn't really fit in with anything else i know the there were things that like you probably could read into, but it didn't really have that obvious message. It just felt a bit out of place. Yeah. I was fine with it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that scene I was well, alright with. It fit in with the rest of the film, but... Yeah. It's just a bit weird. Well, you're not wrong there. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Was this uh, Boots Riley's directorial and writing debut, I think? Uh, yes. It might actually be the only thing, because it it looks like it does the soundtrack for a lot of stuff. but Yeah, it's because uh, he's in a, a band, The Coup, which made an album based off the story of this before the film was actually produced. So the screenplay was written in 2012, so... It uh, for people wondering, it's definitely not a critique of like Trump's America. It just happened to be uh, a a bit too real. <laughs> yeah, because there's uh, there's there's obviously like the soundtrack and, and the score. Definitely. Uh, for yeah, the film. Because I mean. You know, I definitely say the standout, the the music, the standout. Yeah, of it, but a lot of it was done uh, by. I was literally listening to the soundtrack, and I've already forgotten who it was by. Tune yards. Um, tune yards. That's it. Yeah, and it does have music from the coup and Boots Riley. Uh, so it's. The music is very personal, and I was bopping along to some of the tunes. Like, I remember, I definitely remember when the title cards came up after he got the job, and that, that had a really good um, 
like little like riff thing. The, a lot of it, I did enjoy the music. Yeah, there was a really cool sequence where, um, as he started to make more money, like the things inside of his house started to like. Oh break open uh, yeah, I, I forgot about that. And... It was like it, it was kind of shedding. Yeah, it was like shedding. Um, you know his poorer persona and putting on this ritual one. Like I think I noticed before, like he became a power caller. Uh, the way he'd stand, he was often like slumped over a bit. Yeah. But then, uh, when he got promoted, he stood up taller a lot more. Uh, and I, and I did really like uh, Lakeith Stanfield's performance. Um, I th- I thought he did well of portraying the character, uh, and he he definitely made him likable because at points he has to kind of do unlikable things but you know you still have to root for the character and i think he did a good job at doing that because uh you know when he was doing the the phone strike you could tell he was actually you know it looked like he actually wanted to do it whereas it uh, maybe like a another actor might have because you know he gets promoted anyway afterwards might have just shown it as him not caring but he obviously does care because it comes into it later on like he could have just accepted the half horse people and got a hundred million dollars um which but that reveal by the way of the pay where it's like <laughs> hands him a piece of paper which is written on with like sharpie that says yeah, i'm offering you 100 face. million dollars smiley face because didn't they didn't they do like a reveal of money early but it didn't actually show you how much he was about to make uh yeah with that was with mr blank or mr underscore (laughs) um yeah they didn't they didn't show you for that for his first paycheck but he seemed to know a bit about the system because like he actually takes off his white voice at one point doesn't he when he tells him to go see steve lift yeah i'm not sure why yeah and I think I wonder if he does that at that point to kind of show solidarity after like humiliating himself with the rap thing, which by the way, the bit leading up to the the rapping and the rap itself is some of the most uncomfortable scenes <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> like I was genu- oh I could I could barely watch like I was cringing so much. <laughs> oh, it- <laughs> I mean that was definitely the point, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does do really well with having like the comedy as well as the commentary comedy yeah. and commentary because a lot of it is quite overt in that it's critical of a lot of these things that you presented with but then at the same time they're able to have that blend with comedy and absurdism that keeps you entertained and keeps you invested in these twists that otherwise would have would seem quite out of the blue and a bit off-putting i guess yeah like what was the deal with the lift the voice of the lift <laughs> like <laughs> welcome cassia screen i hope you have not masturbated today we need you <laughs> sharp and ready to go <laughs> i'm only a computer was, but something I else about to it massage like... that muscular brain of yours <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> that was very strange um i can't remember. there there is there are like 
normal <laughs> things of comedy as well, but I can't remember it right now. <laughs> what was the the whole thing where he's at the bar and then they he goes to the VIP section? <laughs> okay, yeah, that probably did need to be in it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was about. That was strange. Uh, probably something to do with him being like invisible, but I, I don't thought know. It was maybe also like. His first glimpse of the upper class, and he didn't like it. Yeah, but I can't really I'll think like of anything down to... of this. <laughs> yeah, uh, like and he I admires this system and these upper classes, but in reality, it doesn't really suit him. And then that's like, I, I guess it's it's like when you adopt this white voice. Yeah, and it's like you idolize the idea, and then when you peek behind the curtain. Yeah. It's kind of it's not good. Um but I'm trying to I can't remember all the comedy aspects. Oh I, I liked all the like different graffiti on the signs. They the way they'd always like show you the sign and then so you'd remember it later when it was graffitied. That was that was clever. Uh what was going on with the earrings as well? Oh, what, like, murder, 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 kill, kill, kill? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I remember. Some of them, I know one of them was, like, lyrics of a Bob Dylan protest song or something. But, <laughs> yeah. The earrings obviously were important. I guess that was something to do with expression. Yeah. Only thing that confused me was, like... Um, obviously, when uh, Cash entered the sort of upper class and changed his attitudes towards all of his friends and his girlfriend, and his like his girlfriend broke up with him and everything, but then once he uh, once he turned back, she was just like, "Cool, but that doesn't change anything between us. We're still broken up." Then right at the end, they're absolutely just magically back together again. I that confused me. A bit. Yeah, that's true. Then he grows horse uh, and... nostrils, and it's less left ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other gripe I'd have is probably like um, the fact that after a video being released of one of his employees putting in the secret security code, Steve Lift then doesn't change the code. Uh, like in his house, he doesn't change it <laughs> after there is a video of someone putting it in. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that was one of my main criticisms, but why not? <laughs> no, I just annoyed me. Yeah, exactly. but I wasn't sure about it, the like him actually have had the horse catalyst because I did like the idea of Steve Lift genuinely believing he wasn't evil. Yeah. yeah. Kind of show that problem. I thought that was interesting, but I guess they wanted him to be a horse so they could end with him becoming a horse and then have the end credits thing of all the horses running into the house. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I did like that idea of like controlling this revolution almost, and the fact that. Oh yeah, by the the elite. So it's sort of like this facade of him as I think it's described as the Martin Luther King Jr. of 
the horse people. Yeah, so it's like it's a you feel like you're protesting, but they haven't actually done anything. That and that was kind of what they wanted. Um, which I guess is supposed to say something about what protests do today. Like if if they really achieve that much, um, which. It's quite true because, like, <laughs> I just saw a Guardian article about praising Biden for being a radical centrist. It's like that's not really what <laughs> we need right now, is it? Though, like, not not really doing anything to help anyone. <laughs> um, and it has the, a danger, even though this sort of was written like for Trump. Um, but actually, I guess during the Obama administration, it also made sense of kind of like falling into a false sense of security where it's like things don't look bad on the surface so it doesn't we don't need to do anything kind of thing yeah yeah just learn to accept something if there's no real solution that you yourself can yeah 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 that that was definitely a theme wasn't it yeah what else is that say um what did you think of the Cinematography. Uh, I can't say I noticed it I mean, too much. Like, like definitely uh, the the lift bit though, when you like first see the lift and um, Mister Blank. Oh, true. <laughs> yeah. Something uh, that I remember that, and it wasn't it wasn't ever like thing, but... bad. No, I I quite like the color palette. It always seemed to be quite bright and like i guess that sort of embraces that optimism that he had that he's able to break away from these restrictions in society like the that would have prevented him um from you know becoming more socially mobile but at the same time he's having to become someone he's actually not in order to do that yeah yeah i like the maybe that's a bit yeah, I like the logo and typeface designs and the very comic book-esque colours of it. Yeah. But, the, I mean, the cinematography, I wouldn't say was stand out, but uh, I guess never with Ace Riley being like, it's sort of like the first thing is directed. Yeah. It's de- it's definitely a very strong uh, debut of, as a director and writer, like really yeah. uh, unique. And you know, most of the effects were good. It was kind of interesting that they had obviously like actual masks and stuff for the horse people, and using the um, like stop motion animation for the um, corporate video of showing the horse people, where you know it's this idea of kind of sugarcoating the awful things that some of these companies do. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that it's got a high production value automatically <laughs> means that it's all yeah, fine. Yeah, it's like, watch this, it's got high production value. <laughs> it should have made it more accurate. Isn't one of the things Steve Lifts... One of the things Steve Lift says is, like, so, uh, you'll get you'll get a load... Of, it's, it's only five years, it's short, and then you'll get the... The special source serum antidote, <laughs> and number two, you'll get a horse penis. 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, he actually thought that would <laughs> encourage it. Just five um, years, you'll get a hundred, a hundred million. No, and a horse penis. Smiley right, face. okay, I'm signing up. <laughs> hundred million dollars smiley that... face. <laughs> Dave Lift definitely did a great job, or like the actor of Army showing Hammer. like this out of touch elite and like this disconnect that um, was explored quite interestingly when sort of the truth was revealed about the horse people and the fact that, as we were saying, a lot of people just sort of went along with it and were almost complicit because they didn't do anything to fight against it just because they would kind of feel like any resistance would be futile, which uh, I guess is, is realistic, but it's not necessarily the, what you'd have expected because there was still opposition from the the workers and the unions, but for the most part, society sort of just went on. Yeah. I I did really like it, like, just quite odd. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's definitely not going to be for everyone. Like, some people are going to find it too strange or uh, too on the nose with its messaging. Like, maybe if, if you're fervently pro-capitalist... <laughs> Uh, maybe you should watch the film. Actually, maybe you should watch it. <laughs> That's what I'd yeah. say. Because um, I feel like it. It was um, it wasn't necessarily the most accessible, but it never. It was actually quite fun to watch because, first of all, it never really seemed to drag. I think the pacing was quite good, and you're always engaged with the the scenes and the writing and the acting, um, and the music, but. Also, because a lot of the themes in it, um, they were they were quite over and dealt with um, in a way that was easily recognisable. But it didn't seem like it was like indoctrinating you into uh, being invested in this like propaganda, this anti-capitalist. It was obviously a critique, but it kind of showed not necessarily both sides, but it wasn't like overwhelmingly negative to the point where it sort of was detrimental to the film. Yeah, it didn't feel yeah, like it, it never, was uh, just like propaganda in the guise of a film. It was a film that had a message and wasn't afraid to address it, but it not at all at the expense of like the plot and the production and everything. Yeah, which is especially... Uh, impressive scene as it's his first film. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely did well with um the 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 messaging and it never you know, never feeling preachy. It just kind of if it, it felt like it just showed things as they are, like with a bit of the satirical exa- exaggeration. Um you know, it it never once well, I mean, I guess it's said about the people being confronted with horror just without a solution, learn to accept it. But, you know, the rest of it, it never just says, like, um, business bad. <laughs> yeah. It shows you all the, the problems with it and, you know, problems uh, people sometimes face when trying to union unionise and stuff like that. Um, so it definitely felt fair. 
because it seems like it's quite well reviewed with critics but then it seems pretty divisive with audiences maybe just because of that like the political nature of it i guess and i think it, yeah I... it's a good job of dealing with you know stuff like uh capitalism and corporations critiquing them but also at the same time it has like themes of race and stuff like that but it doesn't really focus too heavily on that so it's able to have that balance yeah Uh, it it is it is also just strange, like as well as some people, you know, maybe not liking the commentary. I think just you know you have to be ready for horse people and yeah, st- uh, weird lifts that talk to you and have to put in a code for ten minutes and stuff. But I I don't think it it's too like outlandish that. You know, it's never pretentious. I don't think anyone would ever get annoyed no. um, and it being straight. I mean, yeah, it, it's just, it's one of those where not everyone's going to like it, whatever. It, it, and you're not superior if you do like it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you might say that we're a bit odd for liking the film about people being turned into horses, but... <laughs> But whatever we say is right. Oh, so. sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> That's the worst way a special guest. Yeah. Speaking of it, shall we try and give it a rating? That was smooth. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think we should give it a rating, actually. Alright, yeah. Yeah, that's I'll fair. Just leave this. Right, moving on to submission spotlight. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, we had one live viewer who... um promptly left uh, about uh, 4.35, so they obviously got bored, so there's no point in rating it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for any reason... It's an interesting one to rate. For any reason you do want to hear us rate it, um, you can follow along at our website entertainmentofexcellence.weebly.com Go there now. Right now. <laughs> I so, am. Yeah. Good. Good. Good <laughs> boy. That's why I'm a, not a special guy. <laughs> and also because he knows what the three times chunky means. Of course. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um. I kind of want to listen to what, what other people give it first because I'm not too sure. Okay. I'm trying to think of similar things to. Uh, I'm I'm looking at Fear and Loathing as a comparison. Yeah, uh, I definitely enjoyed it more Just... than Fear and Loathing. You can see this is weird for me because I rated it like a lot higher than you guys. <laughs> yeah, I think I enjoyed Fear and Loathing for what it was, but like, wasn't something I'd really watch again. I don't think. 6.8? Oh, damn, that's a bit lower than I thought, actually. Okay, so it's in the sevens. <laughs> um, what a surprise. Is it going to be 7.5? You can no, say it. I'm... <sighs> How come? I'm going to go... Why do we have... We don't have any that are to two decimal places apart from 7.25 where we have three. 
<laughs> I don't That's know. Ben gets annoyed at rounding it to 7.3. No, I go. Like, oh, come on, it's exactly 7.25. Oh. No, it's the other <laughs> way around. I want to round it to 7.3, but Ollie puts him at 7.25. <gasps> Ollie. Oh, it's because Ollie rated at 7.25. Wait, what? <laughs> 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 okay. Okay, it's well. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Hmm. What did I write? Psychoville. Come on, load. 7.2. Okay, I think I enjoyed it slightly more than Psychoville. I'm gonna go 7.3. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Cool. I guess. I'm thinking like, <laughs> so I didn't enjoy it as much as Fear and Loathing, <laughs> but but I rated that higher than Ben, so it's not going to be in the sixes. I'd probably put it on like the same level as Snowpiercer, where like this was also very unique and it just fell short a bit. Uh, I'll probably put it a bit higher. I'll give it a seven point four. Nice. Um, yeah, You're I'm wrong. gonna go a bit. I'm gonna go a bit higher than that, but I want seven point five. Seven point five. So oh, point six. I thought you were gonna say seven point five. Oh, 5. you just have to make it difficult, <laughs> don't you? Right, I'll go seven point two five then. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Boots Riley is crying now. Boots Riley. I'm sorry, Boots. He's definitely <laughs> listening. <laughs> well, not anymore because he has stopped listening at uh, 25. <laughs> Average rating of 7.4. Bloody hell, when are we going to films that aren't in the sevens? Um, we've had some. Last week. We did, yeah, last week. <laughs> what did we see last week? I can't even remember. Truman Show. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's true. Ben. That is true, man Ooh. show. Man Gone. show. Ah, yes! I've got the <laughs> <High> joke. <five>. <laughs> right, well, wow. so we usually uh, we usually have a submission spotlight. Um, by usually, I mean we've had this for like <laughs> the best part of a year now. And we've had like four submissions. <laughs> But um, if you were a creator of anything kind of entertainment related, if it's like a story, music, short film, something along those lines that we can review, send it in via the contact form or DM us on social media um, at ELV Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you know, just like get in contact with us, please. Otherwise, we'll be so demoralized, we'll stop doing this section. And by that. <sighs> what? The guys dropped back in again, then out again, then in again, then out again. <laughs> Come on, Ben. Gotta keep them hooked. <laughs> right. Send in your works to the submission spotlight now, Boots Riley, who's now. listening. <laughs> <laughs> He sends a sorry to bother you and says, can you review it? <laughs> <laughs>
Imagine we could do that on this show as a submission spotlight and the main thing. Just review it twice. <laughs> should have done that with we Chrome. Should. We'll ask Martin Scorsese if he has any niche indie films. <laughs> hmm. Oh yeah, Martin Scorsese. We'll do your underrated gem, Goodfellas. <laughs> Anyway, is it time for recommendations? It is indeed. It is. Yeah. Do cool. them now. Right um, now. Go on, well, chop chop. Actually, I've I've not had much, oh, no. I've not been able to watch any films oh, no. this week because I've been too busy preparing for our next episode. Oh. Uh, which I'm not going to spoil until the end when Ollie gets to tell you what to watch. <laughs> You're not going to spoil. And the link, you can't forget the link. Okay. Oh no, what is the link? We actually have the link. We actually do have the anyway. link. Anyway. Oh, okay. Um, shush, I need to recommend. <laughs> Go on, chop chop. <laughs> so I've not watched any films or TV, but I'm going to recommend an album. Um, this is on the theme of you know, things being strange. So it's the album 1990 by Daniel Johnston. Uh, and it's classed as, like, I got introduced to it by, like, a YouTube video on what's called Outsider Music, which is, it's like music from, you know, so, so some of it is just people that would produce music, like, on tapes and distribute them, like, our Stevie Moore. And some of it are people that are kind of, like, on the edge of society so daniel johnson suffered with a lot of uh mental health issues like uh depression and stuff like that but like this album 1990 is a really good introduction to him where it's not going to be like normal music you listen to like it's not going to be the best production or the best played guitar and piano uh, and singing but it, it's like a really emotionally raw album um so some of it will hit you like quite hard there's um you know the it's one of those things where the imperfect guitar playing and stuff like that kind of adds to this feeling of um honesty it's like it's it's a very honest music uh and it's, it's there's some songs that like I like more than others, uh, so like I don't really like the "Got to Get You Into My Life" cover uh, or "Don't Play Cards with Satan," but like a lot of songs are very hard hitting. Some of which are like are sad, like "Devil Town," which is Daniel feeling betrayed by his friends. But some of them are melancholy. Like some things last a long time. Probably hit me the hardest when I listened to it the first time. That was quite emotionally heavy um and the the most famous one off of the album is called true love will find you in the end which is like a really short but very like sweet song um where i think that's probably like the best song to start with to see if you'll like the style of the album uh and you listen to that and it's it's just kind of it's one of the more hopeful songs something can get depressing uh but it is it's really kind of interesting music to listen to and i think like kurt cobain was 
inspired by him and it's one of these like niche things on the fringes of the music industry but it's not really the industry because it's on the outside so it's definitely worth listening to sounds groovy so do that yeah that's it (laughs) no who do you think I am special guest <laughs> I actually don't have anything either. <gasps> oh, no. This is such yeah, a bad oh. week. I'm so sorry. Just let us down. <laughs> well, well, we do have some good news, which is that uh, our intro states films, TV, all of it, <sighs> but I think we've. What is it, three TV shows we've ever done? Yeah, the last TV show we did was episode eight. We are on episode 40. (laughs) That's 32 episodes without a single TV show. (laughs) Wait, the last one, we did Hollywood, episode eight. It did not feel like that long ago. (laughs) Time flies. Yeah. Mm. But, um... Yeah, so next week we are doing The Haunting of Hill House. Ooh. And yeah, I give it a binge. Lying. I recommend its, its sequel, well, kind of sequel, uh, Haunting of Bly Manor the other week, which um, I really enjoyed, and I'm about halfway through Haunting of Hill House right now, and I'm enjoying this. Yeah, well. I'm exactly halfway through. I'm not actually... So am I. <laughs> I am five the episodes last five time. yet. Yeah. Uh, Five's a good place to have a break if you're wondering. So the link between this uh this film and The Haunting of Hill House is both are in uh ten eighty P. That was the link you had ready. No. <laughs> no. <It's> oh. <laughs> as un joke. Oh okay, I see. No, well, uh, I mean, the actual link is much better. <laughs> they're both released <laughs> in the same year. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, that's that's good enough. Yeah. yeah. It's difficult. <laughs> we didn't even find anything last time, so... <laughs> no, they were both wacky, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess once now that we've seen this, do you think that holds up, that comparison? Yeah, this is definitely yeah. wacky. This would it say <gasps> no way? Robert Longstreet oh, is yes. There's a link. <laughs> okay, what? Robert Longstreet, who played the boss in Sorry to Bother You, is in The Haunting of Hill House as Mr. Dudley. You're welcome. Do I get promoted from special guest now? No. Uh, you you can no. increase your rations by a little bit, but okay, thanks. Yeah, that's good enough. Only for this week. <laughs> Okay, I'll take that. You'd better. So there you go. Watch Haunting yeah. of Hill House. Yeah, uh, it's Do a it Netflix now. original, uh, so you'll need to have a Netflix account to watch it. If not, just get the trial. Um, I'd say, from what I've seen, it's probably worth it. Uh, if that is, if you don't already have Netflix, given all of the stuff we've watched, like is just on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, do that. Watch that. Yeah. Um, 
and hopefully we'll have a you good episode next week. Actually doing our first TV show in 32 weeks. Imagine that. That's crazy. Might wait. It might. I'm gonna check that actually. I might even be thirty three weeks. No, I'm right. It's thirty two weeks. We had, I think, uh, we had a couple of weeks off, didn't we? That's why we've. Yeah. Like, a couple of weeks. We didn't release one. Well, thirty two episodes. I remember doing backups, but. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening. Go and follow us on social media at EOV Podcast. Uh, go to our website, entertainmentofexcellence.weebly.com. Uh, absolutely hate saying this, but like and subscribe on YouTube because it really helps. Turn on the notification bell. <laughs> I just feel awful. I feel disgusting. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm using my white voice. <laughs> my YouTube <Ben>. voice. <laughs> I've got some news for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. Thanks for listening. Go stream Kangaroo Jack. Alright, see you. Alright, see, see you. you.